change on the town This town has dragged you down All the rain falls hard on a humdrum town This town has dragged you down by the power pop combo the smiths from the album hatful of hollow a john peel session back in the day i'm david eastall and this is the c86 show welcome once again to another thrilling ride of life because I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't and some you should as always playing the best in indie pop as we cross time, space in genre this week it's the special guest that um, is Robert Hampson from Loop so I've got um, about four sections of that interview to play throughout the show plus the usual exciting playlist but uh, there's a lot to pack in and not a huge amount of time so I want to play the first track this Dear listener, is going to be Soundhead. Just turn up the stereos.
Nothing wrong with that. That's Soundhead by Loop, and that was from the album Heaven's End. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. And as I said, and hopefully you were paying attention, I caught up with main man Robert Hampson a few weeks, months ago. And I know they've just been at the Meltdown Festival in London, created and curated by the one and only Robert Smith from The Cure. Anyway, I've got a lot of the interview because it was a very long interview. Um, so I thought I'd start early just to try and get as much in as possible because it's fascinating and uh, hopefully you'll be paying attention if you're a fan. If you're not, then frankly, you may learn something and enjoy it. Who knows? It's, it's a free country. Anyway, this is where we started after quite a long time talking about the early years, which I found fascinating. I hope you do. I too. mean, I was... I was very much, um, I mean, my first musical awakening, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, very, it's very well documented that I, I was obsessed with music from a very early age. And um, my parents um, were, were heavily into music and my uncle, my mother's brother was really into music. And, and he, um, he was very... Um, he was quite an integral part of the British blues scene um, when when that happened in in the early sixties, and you know he actually knew a lot of these these old timer guys like Sonny Boy Williamson and Howlin' Wolf, people like that. He, he was quite good friends with them, so music was always around when I was a kid, and I. You know, I knew who Scott Walker was when I was like seven years old because my mum was obsessed with Scott Walker. So I, I kind of knew all these kind of musical genres from Motown to, to the 60s pop music or, or some of the blues stuff. You know, I had a pretty good grasp of that from a very early age. And I was always really into it and, and really, you know, very obsessive about it. But I guess for me... The what what I won't necessarily say changed that, but what actually made a there's something that made a very big impact on me was obviously punk, um, and uh, unlike a lot of people, it wasn't quite the year zero for me that it was for other people because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't um, get away from my love of the music that I'd grown up with, but uh, for me it was very much a you know a for a, a cultural aspect and for the people my age, it was very much, I mean, obviously I wasn't quite as old as, as the people that were making that music at the time, but, um, you know, that really just uh, to be involved in something, I think to, to actually truly be involved in something at that time was just mind blowing. Um, um, so, it had a very definitive effect on me in the sense of that, that I'd always been obsessed with music, but my obsession just became all the greater because of that. Yes. And um, I, I guess what really, obviously the, the punk scene, you know, frittered away pretty quickly. It didn't, you know, the clash had gone on to doing different things and, and, and the Sex Pistols had split up and, and obviously um, there was there was a grasp of um, what the American side of things was doing, obviously with like bands like Television, et cetera, and Talking Heads. Um, and they'd obviously already moved on to different ground 
anyway and they were never really you know those bands were never really punk those those cbgb type bands and stuff like that apart from maybe like richard hell and, and obviously what johnny funders was doing with the heartbreakers was kind of you know it, it led it, it was it's certainly very influential and, and obviously the same way that the stooges were to the british punk scene and the new york dolls bands like that um so it really i think what really grabbed me more than even the punk stuff was was definitely post-punk um i was very much ripe for kind of more experimental type music um i was i mean personally i was really into cabaret voltaire i really loved throbbing gristle i really loved joy division um you know that that kind of ilk but also um i really loved all the the kind of more scratchy agit pop bands like joseph k um a little bit you know orange juice fire engines i adored um and that obviously listening to some of those bands that got me into a lot of a, a lot of music that i i wasn't quite aware of like captain beefheart um it was always a voyage of discovery through you know through listening to the cabaret voltaire i was i you know i, I became aware who stockhausen was so music for me has always been a discovery and a big sort of jigsaw puzzle and you're just constantly you know sticking the the, the pieces together and you know even if you've got a perfect diorama of the sky, it's always the nitty gritty bits down on the earth that, you know, that, 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 that kind of lead you to very different things or very, you know, much more obscure stuff. Um, so with that, I basically, when I'd, I'd always wanted to be in band, in a band from a very early age, and I'd been in a couple of bands at school that, you know, those kind of bands that last for about a week. Uh, you get together, rehearse in someone's mum's living room or something, and then, you you know, a week later you've already had musical differences and split up. So um, <clears throat> I was always very interested in that. And I'd... I'd after leaving school, I, I was in a few bands with various other people that were kind of like-minded souls in the, in the Croydon scene. Um, and we, but we were much more, I, I guess we were much more into the experimental side rather than the, the rock side of things. And I think with, with the advent of bands like Reese Chatham, Glenn Branker, uh, obviously Sonic Youth, coming through which I really adored as well that that sort of kind of gave me the impetus to think of a sort of like a, a band that had you know one foot in in crowd work you know uh, and maybe post-punk like Wire who another band who I really adored um, but also with um, sort of that sort of guitar element as well much more of a kind of a forward movement of guitars um so it, it was just this sort of you know this sort of um soup that i was kind of just trying to swim around in and, and just trying to find my way of, of sort of truly finding something that i thought was a little bit of you know as it turned out it was a little bit of you know psych it was a little bit of kind of avant-garde it was a little bit um sort of kind of high power rock like the MC5 or something like that. Um, so the, when that, 
when when I was sort of formulating all those ideas, definitely that was the height of of kind of C eighty six, which I guess obviously I, I'm never quite sure what people think of of C eighty six in that respect. Of um, I think if you were kind of my age, there was a lot of those bands that kind of got brought into that scene that had been around for a little while anyway. Um, obviously like the Pastels and, and bands like that uh, um, that had already been around for a good few years. Um, and I guess most people's ideas of, of C86 is that is that kind of um, more commercial aspect of it, I suppose, with bands like Soup Dragons, etc., um, which I obviously would imagine that's most people's idea of the of the peak time and and obviously that quickly um got eaten up i suppose by um, the, the 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 sort of north american scene of uh, with you know with the sub pop stuff i mean suddenly everything just got much more greasier much more louder so true it did get a little bit louder and greasier but um i don't know if you were young back in those days we didn't really wash a lot but um that's just personal hygiene. That is the first part of my interview with Robert Hampson from Loop. I still have quite a bit more of that to go, but I think we should break it up and play another track by the band. This is going to be from their album Fade Out. This is Black Star.
And that's Black Star from the album Fade Out, and that's Loop. And this is David Eastall, the C86 show. A bit later on, I'll tell you how you can contact me if you so wish. But this is going to be the second part of the interview that I did with Robert from the band, where we, we're still talking about those wonderful days that were referred to as, I suppose, um, indie pop or the C86 sound. I know, it all links together in one holistic love fest. Robert, take it I away. I mean, I... I if I'm honest, I wasn't overly enamoured with a lot of those bands at the time. It, I didn't particularly care for them, but I didn't particularly dislike them either. It, it just, I just, my head was somewhere else. So um, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to what was going on around that time. Um, it, it was, it was, a, it was a, um, it was an unusual time because uh, I, I guess with before the advent of what we have now of online magazines, et cetera, et cetera, you, you, you know, you really only had the choice of three magazines like Sounds, Melody Maker, NME, um, not really anybody that you knew that who took anything seriously went anywhere near Smash Hits and stuff. <laughs> Smash, Smash Hits obviously didn't really cover those. No. those those kind of bands anyway and I always found it really weird and you know we as a band Luke got wrapped up in that as well of the competitiveness between the papers as who as to who covered what you know I know that we were definitely very much seen as a melody maker type band and consequently because of that I think you know the, the enemy sort of deliberately started to have a little bit of a backlash against us at the time. Um, so, and I think that probably, you know, that uh, I guess that probably happens in all walks of, of, of music anyway, but I, I grew very weary of it incredibly quickly. I mean, we'd only been around for five minutes and I already really, you know, I'd already realised that I didn't, I just didn't want to get involved in this kind of playground sort of activity of, you know, we're not allowed to speak to someone because of this, that, and the other, and, and you know, I, I just thought it was very unusual. Yes, I, I, I can. Re- yes, because I did an interview with a guy from BMX Bandits who I think, kind of like the enemy, decided to, to hate straight away, and it was a bit like well, that's a bit unfair because they they sort of praised somebody and said this is the best band in the world, and they've only brought yeah. out one single, and the yeah. BMX Bandits are the worst band in the world, and and it's a bit like well, God, yeah. I, you know, this is. But I I mean, embarrassingly, you know, um, I was one of those people. That, you know, you couldn't buy three papers. I suppose you could, but sure. you, but you bought one, and I I plumped for the the enemy, and you know. John Peel was my sort of, I suppose, guide and light in music. So, oh yeah, I in, mean, he was for everybody, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so that was kind of lucky. But I agree, it was, you know, like the the music papers were as childish as probably the tabloids, really, in the sort of sense yeah. of getting very sulky and then getting very self conscious about who was cool and who wasn't cool. And yeah, and it was we kind tried, of. I, I mean, I think, you know, I I I didn't really hide my disdain for that kind of thing when I was talking to a lot of these people really and I, I, I mean I wasn't openly aggressive towards them or anything but I, I, I think I always pretty much gave that impression that I didn't really care yeah. <laughs> and um, I probably care even less now in older age but uh, you know for us it was just uh, I mean you can't deny that obviously with those papers obviously had an influence and they obviously had an influence in the, in the sense of introducing our music to more people. But at that time, a lot of bands had a lot more 
going on for them outside of that anyway because they could play a lot more gigs i mean now you you know you're you're hard stretched to find a venue these days so it was a completely different world and you had you know really great venues like the enterprise or the black horse in camden um which was a little bit later down the line um but you could still you know you could still play upstairs in a pub and get a really great audience and have a really you know a really good time and 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 obviously bands toured a lot more in in you know smaller to to middle-sized venues then so it was easier to get to an audience anyway than it is now i think because i i i mean i as i'm still performing with loop um you know we 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 find it hard to find sort of kind of venues that that are sort of accommodating to the kind of size of audience. I mean, you know, they, I'm not going to be, um, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be uh, stupid enough to say that we don't have the kind of audience that we had back then. We just don't. I mean, it's a simple fact and everybody accepts that. Um, but, and, and also the difficulty with, that comes with that is that, you know, we all have to do different jobs now. We can't, you can't be in a band full time anymore unless you're earning a lot of money from touring and from merchandise, etc. Which uh, you know is a is a rare thing these days. I mean, it, it again, it was very different back then. You could, uh, you know, you 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 earned good money touring, which obviously um, sunk down the toilet very quickly by the time that. You, you know, we'd, towards the end of the first period of Loop, we were actually taking our own PA out on the road um, because, you know, we were fighting, uh, playing venues that just had a very, you know, substandard PA. So and because we wanted to present something that was, uh, you know, of quality and, and, and of the kind of volume and uh, presentation that we wanted, you know, we ended up sort of taking our, started taking up our, our, our own PA out on the road. Also because we'd blown a few up in our time as well, which was um, leading to a few difficulties. Yeah. Because, so, yeah. um, well, I was just going to say, I mean, did it take, because I, I remember doing an interview with Fast Eddie from Motorhead and he was saying that it took quite a while for them to get a sound that was kind of worth persevering with the band. So they almost got to that point where, you know, if we don't really do it soon, there's just no point continuing uh, as kind of motorhead. And, mm. and you know, it's not going to happen, you know. And eventually yeah. they, they managed to kind of start to create a sound that was going to be beyond the sort of pub rock, um, pub yeah. kind of rock kind of, uh, I don't know, crowd, I suppose, you know, that was going to be worth listening to outside yeah. their sort of environment. So did it take a while for you to get a sort of sound that made you think? No, oh, we, we had the sound, but we just couldn't find the, you know, obviously playing the smaller venues and et cetera, the sound wasn't being represented exactly how we, you know, I'd, I'd originally envisioned it. And and consequently, that goes back to what I was saying with, with the basically, um, you know, we, we were struggling to find PAs that were powerful enough I, I mean, again, in this day and age, PAs are a lot smaller, but they're actually a lot more powerful than they were, than they were back then. You know, there's so much has happened with the engineering of how PAs are built, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so back then we were always struggling to, uh, you know, to find the kind of um, the presentation in the in the sound 
because we were you know we we made i think we made our reputation very quickly of this kind of you know it was very much a forceful sound it, it, you really had to be immersed completely in the center of it um and but for me it wasn't always about noise it was the dynamic of the sound it wasn't just about this kind of shrill noise um it was you know there's a lot more power behind it that you know the, the, the guitars were a lot more powerful than just this kind of shrill distorted noise which other people were doing it was much more powerful it had a much more sort of kind of lower lower to you know lower mid-range kind of in in the guitar it was very um guttural yes because i can remember at that time and i don't know exactly what year this was but i remember with I think it was the swans who were trying to create a sound that made their audience kind of vomit without them um, yeah. wanting to. I mean, which obviously is so 80s. But I mean, were, were, were things like that, you know, because obviously, you know, when you're young, things like that sound fantastic. And, you know, you mm. must go and watch it and vomit as well. So mm. were, were sort of bands like that? And also, I mean, I guess you were there before my bloody Valentine, who I saw a few times in their early years. Again, yeah. were making quite an amazing noise, but mm. was more than just a noise you know they were trying to create something quite unique yeah well that came later for them i mean they were definitely uh, i mean when when we were originally started playing places like bay 63 i mean uh my my bloody valentine were a very different band then you know they had a different singer and they, and their style of music was quite different so obviously their idea of of this what they do now came a lot later uh, and um I think, uh, you know, we, when we were trying to do what we were doing, there wasn't, you know, there was maybe us, um, probably Swans, definitely Swans. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Um, I think Big Black, maybe, possibly, but they weren't quite as, um, they were more visceral, I yes. think, Big Black. And that's the second part of my interview with Robert Hampson from Loop. I think we need more music. Indeed we do. This is a track, again, from their album that came out um, in 89, Fade Out. This is, this is where you end.
just like a modern version of Phil Spector's All the Same, that's Loop, and that's the track titled This Is Where You End. And um, on that theme of the end, to quote Jim Morrison, this is the third part of my interview with Robert Hampson, where we talk about, yes, where things start to unravel and it's almost all over, to quote 1966. We went to the States and that was it. I, I think, I mean, the, the, the most curious thing was is that, that we'd actually, you know, I, I, we we were one of the few bands at that time that really actually made a, a bit of an impact in America. And I think if we, if we'd, if we'd um, stayed together and gone back there again, I think, you know, I think we'd actually probably would have done pretty well. Um, the problem, I, I mean, old age plays a, plays a part in it now, I think, and in, in, in hindsight, obviously, is that you look at it and, we were just burnt out. I mean, we just, because we just toured constantly. And if we weren't touring, we were in the studio recording and we never had any time off. I mean, I know I don't mean that as in get the world's smallest violin out or anything, but it's just purely that we just, if, if we'd taken a step back and maybe, you know, had a six month break or something like that, you know, things would have been a lot easier, but we just, we're just exhausted, and I, I, because of the promotional nature of getting involved with, you know, in in America, we were on, um, we were sort of uh, had a deal with RCA, and um, for us, going there was a was just completely different to to have what we'd had in Europe, um, the UK and Europe at that time. Um, Everything was much more based about promotion, radio shows, uh, you know, just uh, the, 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 the public relations side of things was was amplified tenfold. And, um, you know, we touring around literally, um, it wasn't in comfort, you know, it was in a, it was in the back of a, you know, a, a, you know, like a, a, a I don't know, eight seater van with a, you know, dragging a U-Haul and stuff like that. And as always, I think, you know, there was never, there was never a lot of money around. Um, you know, money creates comfort and comfort creates happier bands. And I think, you know, again, without, you know, I'm not, I'm not um, complaining about it. You do what you do. And when you're younger, you can, you, you, your tolerance of doing that is, is a lot greater than it is when you get a little bit older and we've all done it. You know, there's, there's a myriad of bands that have, have done exactly the same thing. Um, but I think when you've just, you know, for a good three years, we had done that, uh, just that constant touring playing, you know, going out, playing more shows, coming back, doing some recording. And I was always much of a, uh, my opinion at those days was that basically we never spent enough time in the studio. And I wish we had because, I mean, I think, I think obviously my post-loop career with what I was doing with Maine, et cetera, would very much, in, you know, embrace the studio as an instrument. And because I, I'd actually had my own studio by then, I, I just spent days, hours, weeks just refining what I was doing. And, and with Loop, 
um, we never really had that chance, unfortunately, because we never had that kind of budget. And um, so I think towards the end of it, it was everything had this kind of element of being rushed to it. And, you know, or if not rushed, but perhaps a, a tad unfinished, but only in the sense of that I wanted to do more, but it just didn't have the ability to. And uh, I think, I think if if technology had been a bit more advanced, and you know, you actually had your own, um, if, if not a full blown studio, but at least sort of a, a better um, accessibility to to those kind of things, I think things would have been a little bit different. But but like I say, I think at the end of the day, we just were just exhausted. I'd had enough. By the time we'd come back from America, I was just I I. I honestly didn't know my ass from my elbow, and I think I've I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think I was probably a bit rash in deciding that that was it, that it was over with. Um, I think if I'd gone away, had a, a really good break from it for a, you know at least four or five, maybe six months, I think, and we'd all you know seriously come back to it with with having had a good rest and a good break from each other, from, from our record labels, et cetera, et cetera. We possibly could have carried on, but like I say, hindsight's a wonderful thing. You don't think about those things when you're, when you're on the spot at that moment in time. And I think it, it was, it was basically in the end, it was just like I've had enough. Being in a band should come with a health warning. Everybody I've ever interviewed um, has very similar stories. It doesn't end well. But anyway, there is a happy ending to this one. We're going to play one more track and then another bit of the interview. This is Luke with a track called Head On.
That was Luke with a track called Head On. This is David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you ever want to contact me, it's always nice. You can via Twitter or Facebook. Just go to at C86 Show and I will be there and it's always exciting. Anyway, this week's special guest, because we always have a special guest, is Robert Hampson from Loop. And this is the fourth part of my interview where we talk about both the moment it all happens, as in finish, and then, like Phoenix from the Flames, it rises again. Robert, tell us some more. Well, I mean, basically, after we'd come back from America, I um, I think after about a week or so, we had a meeting in a pub, one of our pubs in London, and I just said, that's it, I don't want to do it anymore. And um, But I, I just said, I, I want to say goodbye to everybody. Um, so we formulated the last tour, um, which was plagued with a lot of problems because the weather was so bad that year. So we had cancelled shows, we got snowbound, we were travelling around in a in a in a um, very primitive version of these sleeper coaches, and I think that just that more than anything with the pitiful weather, with a driver that would never turn the heating on in the coach, and we were sleeping in in basically these little coffins. I, I think that that probably convinced us all that the decision was right it, you know so we we actually did a final tour to say goodbye to people but at the same time that was that it was just so bloody awful that I think you know I think you know I could probably say that all of us just thought that's it we we just don't need this anymore yeah um you know it, there was no comfort there was no it was a very difficult time I mean I, I like I say, we had some gigs cancelled because of the snow and um, there was a very intense period of snow. And I remember walking around, um, I think it was Nottingham, in literally with like plastic bags of socks because the feet hadn't dried out for about three days. Um, you know, you don't think about having spare pairs of shoes and stuff like that when you're, in your, <laughs> when you're a lot younger. And um, it, it was just miserable. It was just... You know, it was just horrible, and and I, I, that really was the death now. I think that really was like the, you know, just completely and utterly signed, sealed, delivered the death warrant of Luke, really. Yes. And did uh, you feel? And when it was over, did you have a huge sense of relief? Because I always got that feeling that when Johnny Mars slightly sort of, I don't know, it was all a bit messy, but he, I got the impression that he just felt like suddenly this weight had been lifted off him. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, I'd already. You know, I, I was already busy thinking about what I wanted to do, which obviously eventually became main, um, that I wanted to, because the kind of music I'd made before, it was a lot more experimental. And I just kind of wanted to go back to that experimentation. There was little, you know, dribs and drabs of it with loop. Um, but it was, I'd really got much more involved in that again, in, in, in my thought pattern. And I, and I, so even when we'd, you know, when we'd finally finished and I, I did actually legitimately have a bit of a break for a, you know, for a, a couple of months and I, I couldn't shake this feeling of what I wanted to do. I, and, you know, I became, it was a sense of relief that I didn't have to think about serving in a band that was a traditional you know two guitars bass and drums lineup and it was just like my world is my oyster now i can do anything i want and i don't have to answer to anybody else and um i'd i'd already expressed these ideas with scott who was the guitarist 
the other guitarist with Loop. And, um, you know, I just said, I don't, you know, I want to break away from all of this. I want to try and do something really different. And, and obviously that um, at the time was quite unusual. And um, I mean, the kind of stuff that we ended up doing, you hear on a million, million and one TV programs now, that kind of very abstract kind of sound design sound that you get that's not true. You know, it's composition. Obviously, it's composition, but it's not composition in the traditional sense. Um, so with that, and that, and there was obviously a, a few other bands that were beginning to sort of do different things as well, um, which obviously became that um, that movement that was coined isolationism. Yes. Um, so you would obviously had like Thomas Kohner and people like that that were just doing much more broader sound construct and and you know very much a, what we now consider to be sound design very much in that element so you know whatever you watch a tv show whenever you go to the cinema and stuff like that you're hearing that that kind of very strong element now and the, and the way that um you know people use guitars now in a very abstract manner um etc and instrumentation and obviously you've got so much more tech technology available um to be able to do that thing so but even then it would you know we didn't really have that we samplers had only just about come in and they were very rudimentary and 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 to to work with a sampler was an expense in itself because you had to you know every every if you wanted external hard drives i mean they cost hundreds of pounds and you'd you'd have like an eight megabyte external hard drive <laughs> you know, yes. basically a digital watch is probably more powerful you know so it, it it was again really bizarre but god it was exciting it really was to to be able to you know afford to buy studio equipment and actually have it set up in my home um was just an incredible period of time i mean it was it, it just Words failed me how how great it was, and you know to have a sixteen track multi track recorder and a big mixing desk and, and loads of outboard gear again because computers even the you know even even a what was considered to be a, a powerful Apple computer at that time was, was you couldn't do it very much on it at all. Yes, but like I can remember sort of when, when the excitement of having to buy a full megabytes of memory which cost probably about 100 or 150 pounds and, and and being like this is a huge but you had to do it but you know it was like yeah. some tiny bit of memory for about 100 pounds. yeah i mean now you know what you what you can get now is you know like a just installed on a laptop is it is incredible yes yeah. this is and true it's, so, in some ways i think it's a great thing and other ways i think it's a really bad thing because i think it's i, I don't know I, I think it's perhaps it's a little bit too easy nowadays. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's interesting. Well, it's interesting thinking about, you know, people like, you know, Hendrix and the, obviously the Velvet um, Underground and Beefheart and then people like Hawkwind as well, who, was, mm. who, who obviously had to really push their talents to the limit to create mm. things. But then sort of coming forward, I mean, obviously a few years ago you reformed and you're again getting together for this... Um, event robert smith creating at the meltdown yeah. festival so did that how did that feel when you decided i mean the first time which well was... the, the first time was it, i i literally for years i i'd actually said no 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 you know we'd been asked by various people um 
obviously we were by that time seen as in you know uh, i guess influential on certain things and um you know i know um Stuart from Mogwai was really wanted us to reform and he was trying to get the uh, all tomorrow's parties to 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 get that going and um there was a couple of times where I just batted it away I just wasn't interested and then I think I think it was when I when I was remastering all the loop material and I was listening back to it because I I I never ever listen to anything I've done. Once it's done, once it's been mastered, once it's out there, I never ever want to listen to it again. Um, so, but having to go right back to the very start to when when I was reissuing all the loop material and, and, and all the remastering process, which you you know basically I had to I had to sit there and listen to it, and um, I just thought you know oh, well maybe this isn't such a bad idea you know. It, it, it's kind of you know it, it it's like i i kind of really felt like i wanted to do it again and i'd got in touch with all the other members the for what's considered to be the classic lineup and um just said look you know we've got some offers to do this stuff you know and and uh, we, we we could curate the um one of the all tomorrow's parties uh events and i just thought it's now or never really and and i was fast approaching 50 and i just thought well if i'm going to do it i'm going to do it now or not at all and and i just kind of sat back and thought i just got to let it you know see what happens and um so we got together and we did it and uh it was interesting but it it, it worked in many ways and in other ways it wasn't working and um I think it was pretty clear that the the classic lineup wasn't going to be around for very long. I think we all thought that. And um, so we did a certain amount of shows um, and then we decided not to work together again. And then, but I wanted to carry on doing loops. So basically I just, you know, found other like-minded people. Um, which is how I got in, uh, introduced to Wayne and Hugo from the Heads, and obviously the Heads are very, um, very much of of that ilk of that time, of of when Loop were originally about. So um, it was strangely not as difficult for me. I'd always, after all these years of people saying you know, you should do loop and it it doesn't matter who is in the band, it's you, which which is kind of like that, you know, the the um what a lot of people say about the fall is as you know, as long as it's Mark E. Smith, it doesn't matter if it's your granny on bongos or whatever <laughs> whatever the quote was. And and I just thought, well, I I want to make this music again and I I was very interested in actually making new music as well, you know, and, and which obviously we did. Um The complexities of being in a band, yes, it's all very exciting. Now that's almost the end of the show, but just as a little bit of a bonus bit of material, um, there's just one little uh, bit that I'll play. This is the bit when I asked him what he would say to his 18-year-old self. I think just, I think it, it would be the same thing that I've always done anyway, which is basically just just do what you feel is right. Um, 
And if you ever end up doing something that you don't feel is correct, walk away from it, which is what I've done. I was always had a very sort of clear, defined sort of attitude towards stuff like that. I mean, I'd, and I'd, to this day, I've probably killed myself a multitude of times commercially by releasing music, but that perhaps, you know, a tiny fraction of people actually truly want to listen to. But I've always followed my heart and I've always, you know, I've always followed a trajectory of without flinching you know I've never doubted anything that I've ever felt I've, I've needed to do um and I, I I hope that people believe that you know when the, the to to go back to doing the loop reform was very much an idea in the sense of that I wanted to create new music which is you know we have done unfortunately not as much as I would like but you know, we've been involved in a few um, difficulties in the last couple of years, but uh, I, it's still very much of that idea that I want to carry on making new loop music, that it, it's not just some sort of um, retro kind of uh, rose-tinted spectacles period of, you know, I, I'm still interested in very much in making new loop music. And there you have it, the fourth, or no, the fifth and final part of the interview that I had with Robert Hansen from Loop. A huge thank you for giving me the time because um, it was a long interview and I really appreciated it. But sadly, that is going to be the end. This has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can via Twitter or Facebook. Just go to at C86 Show. I will be there. Always nice to hear from you, as long as it's kind of positive and groovy. Otherwise, don't bother. And this is going to be Loop, and this is a track called Vapor. Tune in for next week. I will have another special guest. I have got so many, but the backlog is slowly whittling away.